From the Heritage Foundation, this is Heritage Explains. I was in college when I first tried bubble tea. If you've never had one, it's a worthwhile experience, consisting of sweet tea, hot or cold, usually combined with milk. In the bottom of the glass, there are large, round pearls of chewy tapioca. The drink comes with a straw thick enough to allow these little balls to pass through. So drinking bubble tea also includes chewing bubble tea. The first time I had it, I thought it was gross. But then, a week or two later, I found myself thinking about it and had to go get another one. Since then, I've been a bubble tea fan. And it turns out that the world owes the existence of this drink, now a worldwide phenomenon, to one small island nation located in the northwestern Pacific Ocean, just off the coast of mainland China. Taiwan is a remarkable nation with a fascinating history. It has given us not only bubble tea, but the majority of the world's microchips, essential to the production of nearly every computerized device in the world. It's also a focus of aggression for the Chinese Communist Party, who view Taiwan as one and the same with the People's Republic of China. This week, Taiwan is readying itself for a national election, and the world is watching. Why? For that, we turn to Michael Cunningham, a research fellow in Heritage's Asian Studies Center, and he joins us from the Taiwanese capital of Taipei. Michael Cunningham, welcome to Heritage Explains. Thanks for having me. And you're a little atypical of our guests that we've had on here in the past because you are coming to us from the other side of the world, from Taiwan. Yes, I am. This is not your first time in Taiwan. Uh, you are an expert in the Asian Studies Center here at the Heritage Foundation, and you've spent some time in Taiwan in the past. Is that right? That's correct. I, I actually used to work in Taiwan for over three years, about three and a half years when I was in the private sector. Um, so I've experienced elections in Taiwan in the past. Can you talk a little bit about what is different for this visit? You've been there for two previous presidential elections, or at least shortly before those elections. But this one is striking you a little bit differently. How is that? Yeah, um, this election, I don't think there has ever been this much uh, international attention to uh, an election in Taiwan as there is now. Four years ago, there was quite a bit of attention, but it just seems like the whole world is visiting Taiwan right now. There are so many people from think tanks, academia, uh, media personalities, international media, they're all here in Taipei right now to experience the election. At the same time, um, and this is sort of what happens every eight years um, after a ruling party has been in office for eight years, um, the people sort of, uh, the locals, the voters start to feel a, a little more depressed about the political situation. And so we're actually not seeing as much excitement um, 
about any of the candidates from the actual voters as we saw four years ago. So they're actually projecting one of the lowest voter turnouts in history, the lowest one actually being eight years ago. That's not an indication of a permanent shift in, in Taiwanese politics by any means. It's just an indication of the point of the political calendar, I'd say, that, that we're in right now. So we're in an election cycle year ourselves here in the United States, and we're pretty well-versed with how that all works. How does this national election differ in Taiwan compared to the United States? Kind of sketch it out for an American audience. Yeah, so the election this Saturday, uh, January 13th, the people are going to be voting for the president and vice president. So like in the U.S., it's a, a single ticket with a president and vice presidential candidate. Um, and uh, like the U.S. also, whoever wins a plurality of votes will will be the winner. They're not going to do any runoffs or anything like that. Um, where it is a bit different is the entire legislature also has their elections the same day. So it's not um, split up in, in, in different years, but we are going to see an entire new legislature. And um, because just like in the U.S., a Taiwanese president can only serve for two four-year terms. This election is seen really as the international community sort of sees it almost as a referendum on uh, Taiwan's policy towards China. Now that's not quite how the, the voters in Taiwan see it. They're focused largely on bread and butter issues, socioeconomic problems, of course, you know, they're focused on quite a bit of political scandal, just like uh, in the United States and other countries. This is the stuff that really drives elections. But the international community is hyper-focused on the China issue. And there's a lot of sort of misunderstanding uh, out there about the issue. It's popular in discourse to see the current um, ruling party, the Democratic Progressive Party or, or the DPP, as pro-independence and the main opposition, Kuomintang, KMT, as sort of a, a pro-China or pro-unification party. And, and these are sort of the popular narratives in media. They're not true um, exactly. Um, the, both parties have very similar um, positions and policies towards China. They all want to preserve the status quo, which is de facto Taiwanese independence without pushing, or maybe independence isn't the right word, de facto Taiwanese sovereignty without pushing a final resolution of the issue. But Beijing is more willing to talk to the, the Kuomintang, the KMT. For those of us who may not understand the conflict very well, can you kind of sketch out what is the tension between China and Taiwan that so many are focused on? Yeah, so uh, China views Taiwan as a core piece of its territory. Taiwan is officially called the Republic of China. The KMT government that ruled Taiwan previously, that's now the opposition party, it was the government of all of China until the Communist Party came to power in the mainland at the end of the Civil War and the KMT fled uh, with the Republic of China government to 
uh, Taiwan in 1949. And so ever since then, there's been a lot of propaganda in the mainland about how we have to liberate Taiwan, and that has turned into we have to unify with Taiwan. There's so much propaganda around this that it's become a very sensitive issue in mainland China, where no government can afford to lose their claim over Taiwan. So they, they have to be able to uh, announce that you know, to their people that uh, China is ours, we will be in control uh, again. And um, the Democratic Progressive Party is advocating for a, a separate Taiwanese identity that is not uh, linked to China. Um, at the same time, uh, the CCP has, and it has some agreements with the, the KMT, one in particular called the, the 1992 Consensus, which was basically a consensus that there is no consensus. It was a consensus that uh, both sides agree that there is just one China, but they disagree on what that means. They, they each have their own interpretation of what that means. And that is very unpopular for the DPP and their core supporters. Uh, China sees that as the, they insist on that as the basis for any cross-strait dialogue. And so whereas dialogue is very important for de-escalation and, and they're able to have that, they're willing to have that with the KMT and with the, the DPP really for no fault of their own. DCP is really not, uh, so far has not been willing to engage in, in any de-escalatory talks with them. So having been on the ground, what is the sense you're getting from the Taiwanese people? What really matters to them in this election? How do they feel about China? How much is that factoring into their, their approach to this election? Elections have always been fought over uh, domestic issues. This election actually, and the, the last election as well, China is playing a, a bigger role. So there is much more of a consciousness of of you know th the threat from China, and and this is partly because the two parties have sort of played that up. The, the two main parties, actually, there are three main parties in this election, and they've all played that up. The the KMT is portraying it as a choice between peace and war. And the DPP is portraying the election as a choice between democracy and totalitarianism, um, playing to the idea of we're supporting democracy, whereas uh, the KMT wants to talk with China and um, uh, you know, that um, China's totalitarian. And then the, the Taiwan People's Party, which is a new party uh, established in uh, 2019, um, by the, the former mayor of, of Taipei, Ko Wenja, who's also a, um, a candidate in this election. He pretty much is, is basing much of um, the election on the idea that the KMT is afraid of China, the DPP is reckless on China, and uh, we need to, to have a, a third path. And so this, this is one of the reasons why there's, there's um, why China, China policy is taking a, a more prominent role in this election, but it's still, when you talk to the regular people, what are they focused on? Um, it's underemployment, it's uh, sky-high housing prices. Taiwan has one of, if not the biggest discrepancy between uh, income and housing prices on the planet. Um, most young people don't 
really have any hope of buying a, a house. So these are the types of issues, not to mention uh, allegations of corruption and other types of political scandal, plagiarism and whatnot that are just flying back and forth um, on, uh, from, you know, between the, the different parties. So you mentioned that the incumbent DPP and the opposing KMT, they have, when it really comes down to it, fairly similar views on China, even though they might phrase it or couch it differently. Looking at it from an international perspective, do we have a thought on whether one of these parties, the election of one or the other of these parties might result to escalation with China? Is there a safer choice here? Well, we at the, the Heritage Foundation are neutral in the election. And so I definitely don't want to say anything that, that would make it sound like I'm supporting one or the other. But, but I can, you know, analytically, I can say um, there are risks and, um, and, and benefits e either way. All of the parties, um, the KMT, DPP, and TPP, and their... Uh, and their respective candidates are all friends of America. They are all going to prioritize um, the relationship with the United States. Um, at the same time, so the election of the DPP candidate, uh, Lai Qingda, you know, he has sought to overcome concerns about his history of being actually staunchly pro-Taiwan independence. And He's, he's tried to overcome that by talking about uh, how he will follow the, the path of the incumbent, Tsai Ing-wen, um, which is a very moderate path. Now, the only problem there is that, and, and he's probably sincere in that, but China does not view her as moderate. Uh, China deeply distrusts the DPP. And so the likelihood that China will engage with the DPP in talks, um, if they haven't been willing to engage with with President Tsai, who has done a phenomenal job and, and been very moderate uh, on this issue, the likelihood that they will want to engage with Lai is, is also quite low. Now, under the KMT, it's definitely not guaranteed. The KMT or TPP, there's no guarantee that they would actually engage in talks. They have indicated that they certainly want to move in that direction. But, you know, anything can happen politically, geopolitically that, that would sort of poison the well and make that more difficult. I would expect that if the KMT candidate Ho Yo Yi or the, the TPP candidate Ko Wen Jo wins, there will probably be a de-escalation at least at first. But we, we don't know how long that, that will last. If as long as Beijing feels like these are people they can talk to, then things will not be as tense as they are right now. Um, and and they have existing lines of communication, but that doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean. I, I mean, Beijing could get pretty disappointed because we're not going back to to the days before Tsai when um, President Ma Ying-jeou uh, had a period of unprecedented. Uh, peace and, and prosperity and, and, well, peace and cooperation with China. Um, it's not the geopolitics, the, the global economic dynamics and everything. They've just shifted in ways that that's just not possible anymore. Um, another thing that would be a risk um, is that 
China would try to use the the de-escalation, which would be very good and and helpful in and of itself. Um, but China would try to use that de-escalation to lull uh, Taiwan into a false sense of security, um, and try to get it to not revamp its its uh, its military deterrence and and all of the other things it has to focus on. And so, um, in that situation. If the KMT or, or one of the opposition candidates wins, they would just have to make sure that they they stay um, focused on that, which which they are dedicated to doing. And so this is all a roundabout way of saying once again that um, all of the candidates um, would be good partners to the United States. They will all seek to maintain a moderate relationship with China. The only real difference would be how. How China views the candidates and how willing they are to de-escalate things. How has our government responded to this? Have they? So our government um, has, and helpfully, they are maintaining strict neutrality in this election, and that's that's how it should be. It's Taiwan's election. It's up to the Taiwanese people to、uh, to choose their leader. The U.S. government,、uh, thankfully,、um, does. Recognize the fact that the entire political spectrum in Taiwan are are great friends of America. I mean, they rely on America quite a bit for their defense.、Um, we are so integrated economically as well. China is also integrated very much in economically with Taiwan, but we have a lot of integration, a lot of cooperation. It, it's good that that our government maintains its neutrality. Michael, is there any indication on the ground of what sort of outcome we might expect and how China might respond to that outcome? Yeah, so it's currently very much a three-way race. We're in a there's sort of a blackout period where they're not able to release any more polling data, and so we're in that right now in the lead up to the election.、Um, the the last polls, most of them were showing the DPP and KMT candidates. Neck and neck, essentially. The DPP a little bit ahead. So most people that I talk to, and these are people, these are supporters of all of all three of the main parties.、Um, most of them are expecting that probably Lai Qingda, the current vice president, who is the the DPP's candidate, will win. That would be a, a first in Taiwan because every single election, or you know, we, there has never been. A party that stayed in power for more than two、uh, consecutive elections, and it wouldn't be happening this time either,、um, except that the opposition is split、uh, among the the KMT and the TPP,、um, and so what that means is we're probably going to see whoever wins will probably have a, a plurality of less than forty percent of the vote. Um, so, but the most likely scenario is that will probably be the DPP candidate Lai Qingda.、Um, it could be the KMT candidate Ho Youyi, but、um, it's looking more like Lai Qingda. And then, like the KMT will either take control of the leg- legislature, or、um, no one will have a, a majority, and the TPP, which is a very small new party, will. Really, for the first time in Taiwan's history, there will be a third party that is not closely aligned with either of the parties that will be able to play a really decisive role in the direction of of 
legislation. Um, now, how how China will react to this? If Lai Qingda is elected, um, you know, I was I've just been talking with with people, members of of the Democratic Progressive Party, and. Uh, um, and other experts um, about this very issue in, in Taipei today and, and yesterday. And um, the consensus is essentially that there will be a, a response from Beijing. It's just a, a question of when. Probably there will be a response shortly after the election, um, as opposed to waiting until the inauguration in May. Uh, there will probably be a, a very quick response. Some people are talking about maybe China scrapping the economic framework agreement with Taiwan. I don't see that as credible because I think there are too many areas. One, there are too many uh, benefits China gets from that economically. Um, and so they're probably going to want to pick out specific um, economic uh, punishment and coercion they can use that is going to have a limit, a very limited impact on China, but will mean so, will really hurt Taiwan. Um, and two, you know, they're going to want to keep a pretty uh, large arsenal of, of measures they can take to express their displeasure against the, the new president. Um, and so to, to just unload everything at once would, would probably not, not be in their interest. They're probably going to want to take one measure now and then another one you know, a week from now, a month from now, or, or just whenever they feel like they have to respond to something. We'll probably see military exercises as well. It's just a question of how large scale are they going to be. But yeah, I expect that in the coming days after the election, if Vice President Lai is the president-elect, we'll, we'll probably see some kind of a reaction from Beijing. Excellent. Well, Michael Cunningham, all the way from Taiwan, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you to Michael Cunningham for his contribution to this episode. You can find more by Michael by going to heritage.org or checking him out on X at Kong Ming Shang. As always, thank you for listening to Heritage Explains. If you have any feedback, thoughts, or questions, of course, you can send them to heritageexplains at heritage.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Take care. We'll see you next week. Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It's written and produced by Mark Guiney, Lauren Evans, and John Pop.